Hello and welcome to Stream Theory. My name is Jackson. I am the YouTube channel Skip Intro, and on the line we have the YouTube channel Thomas Flight's uh, showrunner, Thomas Flight. How's it going, Thomas? Hi. I never thought about myself as a showrunner before, but I think technically I could probably use that title for my. Yeah, why not? I'm the, I'm I'm the showrunner of my YouTube channel. Hey, resumes are all about uh, you know titles. I think so. Uh, I. I do struggle sometimes what to call myself if I'm like filling out something or I have to any situation where I have to describe myself. I'm like, am I a business owner? Am I like an independent journalist? Am I a uh, it's, it's unclear showrunner? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> I mean, you, you make a show and it comes out on a pretty um, a more regular basis than mine, for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that works. It's easier than being like. Director, writer, editor, uh, host, producer of Thomas Flight yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah. Creator. Yeah. It sounds a little pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I use it, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, same. I mean, just because it sounds pretentious doesn't mean that, you know, I, I can't I can't avoid all uh, accusations. Is it pretentious if it's true? Right. Exactly. That's my point. It's like I, I don't think I can avoid all accusations of pretense, unfortunately. So I think yeah, a little bit of pretentiousness comes with the territory. Um, so for our next episode, we've we've gotten some emails. I will say that. And uh, if you have any feedback or questions, you can hit us up stream theory pod at gmail.com. We're looking to do part of our next episode as a mailbag. So send us in your, your questions um, and we will we will answer them. We will answer all of them. Questions, something you want our perspective on or want us to discuss or whatever. Uh, we will do that. Um, you can send us a television show recommendation but there's no promises that we're gonna watch no promises <laughs> i get to we uh the recommendations are our thing yeah okay yeah. so um okay so let's uh let's get into the news because i have a feeling that if we we just talk about you know the coronavirus update it's gonna sound a lot like it did last month <laughs> Um, so the news this this month in streaming wars, this just in, is that HBO Max is out and Peacock is out. So those are those are two big players in the streaming wars landscape that we had been eyeballing for. I mean, since we started this podcast like a year ago. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. First impressions. What do you think? Let's start with HBO Max. What did you what do you think? I initially I was like kind of underwhelmed by HBO Max because I guess in part like I've been a longtime user of HBO like right uh, aside from shilling Netflix HBO is probably the place where I watch the most content which I don't think is the case for a lot of people but I, a lot of HBO shows are my are some of my favorite shows and I just watch a lot of stuff there um, so it's kind of been like almost second place for me after Netflix. And so HBO Max isn't really like a whole new platform or it didn't feel to me like that. It was just like, oh, it's HBO stuff with some extra goodies. And there's there's a lot of good stuff in there, but I wasn't initially like that intrigued by much of it. But the more I've dug and the more I've used it, I think it is um, a valuable upgrade. And it's it's literally no more than we were already paying for HBO now. So there's really not much of a downside here. You get more now for the cost of HBO than you used to. Um, and the interface is redesigned, which is something I've complained about a lot in the past, although it's not it's still not like it's still not on the level of some of the better ones out there. 
but uh, but it is it is a step up. So I'm happy to have HBO Max now instead of HBO now now go uh, go now what plus yes. Max the the naming the naming is still is still very confusing. But what are your what are your impressions, Jackson? Yeah, so um, I think initially I was a little higher on it uh, simply because the interface upgrade is such a big deal. Um, yeah. We've uh, one of the first things that we started talking about when we started this was. Uh, how we were worried that HBO was going to fall behind because their interface was just so buggy. Like anytime I would, when I first started watching the wire and I would pause stuff on HBO go or whatever it was. And I'd come back, I'd like look something up in another tab and then I'd come back to it. It would, I'd have to refresh the whole page and like start over and scrub to the spot I was in. So that was just really annoying. And all of that seems to be super streamlined. Um, I really like just the the general uh, user interface that they have on their their homepage. I think it's much easier to find stuff. Um, so that's that's all good stuff. I think that the yeah. the increased movie library is pretty awesome. Um, I don't. I'm not like a big movie guy as as we've discussed before but i one of the first things i did was watch some studio uh, ghibli films that were just in like Same. super high def and i was like yes, yes this is usually i have to find like a like a like a crappier version of this somewhere or, or buy it um on amazon prime or something but i got to watch princess mononoke and like the full resolution no like buffering or anything like that so that was awesome um yeah that's same here that's immediately what i went to i've watched a couple of those movies and that's probably what i'll use it for for a while yet and it's awesome to see those in high def like really good quality because they're so beautiful that's like half the point yeah and they and they obviously spend so much time on the animation and they're they're really like you get to really see all that work that they put into those um which is which is huge um and especially for american audiences who maybe didn't get to see them in theaters. Uh, it sounds like you've probably even seen more of them than I have because I just watched Spirited Away for the first time because of this whole thing. Oh, yeah, what'd you think? was one that, oh, yeah, it's great. I loved <laughs> it. Um, so it's one that I've had on my list for a long time. Um, and yeah, it's great to, great to be able to finally watch it. Yeah, so. I'm, a, I'm a, I definitely a big Miyazaki fan over here. I haven't seen them all, but of the ones I've seen, I've, I've yet to see one that I... I didn't I didn't like. Um, but yeah, no. So I think that I think that that huge library is like a big upgrade. And just that combined with the interface, I think that the hype around it will die down a bit. I've had a lot of friends being like, oh, wow, there's all these movies on HBO Max. This is awesome. But I also remember yeah. them saying a lot of the same stuff about Disney Plus and nobody's talking about Disney yes. Plus anymore. So yeah. we'll see if they they might just be getting the the bump that we've seen these streaming services get when they first drop yeah and we'll see if they can they can keep it going but i mean i they have the hbo brand so whenever shows are coming out on there they're going to get that bump um and you know maybe they'll be able to release warner brothers will be able to release their their movies through this um in time of theater shutdown i don't know yeah that is a great point you made about i i saw i also saw people um saying like oh i think hbo max could be the the best streaming or is the the best streaming service and i definitely think there's that like when you first get a new one like disney plus or hbo max it's like everything is new and so it feels like it has this huge library it's like if you never watched anything on netflix in your life and you got netflix and hbo max at the same time i think it wouldn't look as populated right as it does it's just because you've seen most of the stuff you already wanted to watch on netflix already Right. You've Um, been scrolling through Netflix for years at this point. Yeah. And then a bunch of new stuff is it's almost like it's an entirely different library on HBO Max. So, yeah. 
yeah that's the big difference there uh, one thing as far as the interface thing i think like an interesting distinction to make is like this interface is still a lot is a, is a big step up from what we've had from hbo in the past but if you use it one thing that becomes apparent is like it's a uh, it's not a recommendation system like something like Netflix or even Amazon Prime has. And and I think Hulu, they have these like recommendation systems that will surface pieces of content for you. Right. Um, which wasn't like a really big issue for just HBO when it was just HBO, because there's a limited number of shows. You could just look at all the current ones and be like, well, I want to watch this i don't want to watch this but when you have these big libraries i think it becomes more important uh for it from a usability standpoint to be able to look at what people are watching and then recommend stuff to them and it doesn't seem like there's any method of doing that now so like it's a huge library but you're you're not you're only going to find the stuff you want to watch on there if you already know what you want to watch or if they're promoting Um, it Yes. Or if they're promoting it. So I think that's potentially I'm, I'm not saying they need that, but that's still a big difference we see between something like HBO Max. And if I'm I'm not currently using Disney Plus, so I I'm not sure. But if I'm remembering correctly, Disney Plus also doesn't really have a recommendation system. So that's kind of a distinction in terms of interfaces that I think it'll be interesting to watch how that develops like from here outward to see if that becomes something that's really necessary for these streaming platforms or if they can just kind of get by having these, you know, catalogs that people sort through themselves. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, and I think that that's a divide that you're seeing between web companies and tech companies and more traditional media companies. Amazon yeah, and Netflix yeah. are both companies made on the internet and about that kind of servicing and using algorithms and stuff like that. Whereas HBO has always just been HBO and Disney have always just been programming stuff on traditional television. So when they switch over, they don't have those algorithms necessarily. I'll say that I I wouldn't worry about it as much with HBO just because they have that brand recognition and there's like a level of trust. So it's like if HBO is giving this to me, it must be pretty good. You know, I mean, obviously, that's a very carefully manicured brand and you could lose it at any point. <laughs> it's a lot, right, a lot right. of uh, eggs put in that one basket. But I mean, they've known what they're doing so far in terms of maintaining it. So, yeah, yeah, you make a good point. But I also wonder if that's if they're kind of thinking that they want to also be curators in addition to they don't they don't want it to be something they, they kind of would like to tell you what to watch um, in a right as, as right. part of that brand. Yeah, it's I mean, yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to insinuate that, you know, recommendation algorithms are somehow necessary or better. And I don't mean to insinuate the opposite. You know, I think there's (laughs) right. Curation, I think, is is a valid approach. I I, I just think it's interesting to look at these platforms as like two distinct. They're, They're kind of like two. There's two parts to them, which is like their library and the content they have available and then how usable and convenient they are as a platform. And um, some are strong in both and some are strong in one area. And um, it's kind of fascinating, at least to me, to watch how that plays out. My curiosity, I think a lot of people tend to talk mostly about the catalogs because that's what's important to them. They're like, oh, this place has the office and I like the show. It's like the content is ultimately what you connect with. But if you can't find good content or new content, then, uh, you know, that could harm end up harming uh, the platforms in the long run. So, yeah, I also think that it's a lot easier to talk about the catalogs. Um, And and I think that the the other stuff you're talking about is a little more under 
under the surface and stuff that people don't necessarily notice. For example, I right. think Hulu has the best library on streaming services of, especially for TV. There's just like every TV show that you could want is on Hulu pretty much. Um, but people yeah. always talk about Hulu after Netflix and probably now after HBO Max and Disney Plus. And I think a lot of that is because their interface is kind of boring yeah. and it's not as easy to navigate and it's a little buggier and it's just stuff that they it's just like a little more of a pain in the butt. So I wonder if that kind of has influenced them to not prioritize that that catalog as much i don't really know yeah. i don't have any yeah. data on it and, but that's, and a, that's same, a theory of mine <laughs> same thing amazon prime video i think we've talked about in the past how it technically has right. the largest library but like the the quality of that library is is on average lower and so it's like the the amount ultimately isn't helping you if your customer can't find what they stuff that they want to watch in the midst of all those thousands of pieces of content so and uh the thing that netflix has really uh i think pioneered is the idea of just turning on netflix and hanging out on that that platform um as being a thing that you can do yeah. like the trailers will play for it you can you can discover new stuff a lot easier on netflix as opposed to amazon prime or hulu which you kind of if you're on Hulu, you kind of are there because you know that there's something you're you're looking for something specific, kind of in the same way that we were talking about with HBO Max, yeah. only HBO Max looks a lot sleeker. <laughs> so a question I have for you, we, we've we've kind of been talking about um, or I guess we brushed over Peacock here. We can touch on that. There's not a whole lot to say. It's out. <laughs> All of the um, stuff that we said about <laughs> HBO Max getting a bump from just coming out um, right. is just not happening for Peacock at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, one of the weird things about Peacock is that its rollout has been very um, like it, it was delayed, I think, in part. And then it's kind of like this partial rollout. So if you're a Comcast Xfinity customer, you'll get it for free. And then it's coming later for everybody on July 15th. And so, so I'm a Comcast, unfortunately have to pay for Comcast to have the internet. And, <laughs> and so I get Peacock for free as a part of that, but I had to get this like box, this streaming device for free from Comcast in order to be able to use it. Oh, and, great. and then it didn't work right away. Like it wasn't streaming at first. I had to wait a little while. So I've used it and there's some stuff on there. It's NBC universal content. There's a few good movies. Um, it's it feels like a subpar catalog compared to HBO Max for sure. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that it's going to rock the boat very much. It's going to be like four dollars a month or something. So this is kind of a weird. It is going to be very cheap. Yeah, I think, is was the was the news. Um, and I don't know how long it will be free for. I don't know if like the free for Comcast customers thing is permanent or if this is like a temporary offer. It's really unclear. I believe it is permanent. Okay. Um, from from reading on it before, or at least for the first like year or yeah. something. So from that, that from that perspective, it's like you know I don't mind getting more free content from people, um, but I can't I see hate it. <laughs> I hate free content, <laughs> but I can't. That's see why, how... That's why we don't watch Quibi. <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. Um, I can't see how it's going to be like a major player in the game. Yeah, I, we talked about this last month, but I. I, I have like a I don't know why, but I feel like bad for Peacock because <laughs> I feel like they got screwed over the most by coronavirus in that like they were like, oh, we'll roll this out with right. the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. And that's obviously not happening. And then they had to like pivot and they already were going to have some rollout problems. And now right. trying to like compound the coronavirus on top of that. And like 
like you said that it's like a physical box as opposed to a streaming service that you can like yeah. bring up in a web browser so i i almost like want to give them like a little bit of a pass because yeah. it's just like it's not it's... really fair but uh and, and like you said they're kind of rolling it out slowly i yeah. know that they announced that there's going to be an hour-long uh 30 rock reunion episode um I don't know if that's already been filmed or uh, if that's like going to be all in Zoom call like Parks and Rec was or right. what the deal is with it. But it seems like they are not exactly like pushing. They're kind of like, and then there's going to be this thing and then <laughs> wait a little bit and then there's going to be some more. <laughs> and I guess if it's that cheap, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it, it, it's not a bad it's not a bad product. It just to me, like playing with it, playing around with it, like I turned it on and then it gives you some like digital live tv channels like you might get with your uh with like a comcast subscription normally but you would have to have like a tv cable box to use like a basic just few channels and i was like oh this feels like something that i just should have had already as a part of my comcast like five years ago like it and now you do and now i do (laughs) so it's yeah it's it it feels yeah if it's a good product it just feels like something that should have been an innovation like five or ten years ago so yeah it's just kind of old school yeah. Um, which which makes sense because NBC Universal is <laughs> the old school, like an old school uh, <laughs> traditional media company. Um, um, well, now now that we've talked about Peacock, what I was going to ask you is so we've been we you and I have been talking about this kind of thing for well over a year, like part of why we started talking in the first place was kind of this mutual interest over the streaming wars and how this was all going to like play out. And when we were talking about it, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever, when we started talking about it, things were still very much on the horizon. But now a lot of the stuff that we that we were looking towards the release of um, is out. The future is now. The future is now. We're here. We've arrived. So what I'm curious about is just generally how you feel about things. Like, do you, has it gone kind of how you imagined it would? Did you expect more or less or how you feel about the streaming wars and sort of the state of the union when it comes to streaming? Yeah. So, so this is our, our state of the union address, I guess. Um, Yes. We're (laughs) live from the front. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess nobody really knew how anything was going to play out, especially not us. Um, But part of the reason we started this was because we were so interested in and we had a lot of thoughts about how it might play out. And I definitely was drinking that Kool-Aid that Netflix was maybe in trouble a little bit because there were just so many people coming for them um, and they were getting their content pulled for other networks or other streaming services, which was really a huge, uh, huge piece of the puzzle early on. I remember there being like some articles or studies that were like, here are the most watched shows on Netflix and Netflix owns like one in their top 20. (laughs) Right. So that was troubling, but I always was I always was a little skeptical that they were going to fail just because of the institutional momentum. And I think that's really been proven out. Um, I think that everything else has kind of I I, I don't want to say it's hard for me to say that they played out the way I thought they would, because it feels so much up in the air still with HBO Max just having launched Peacock, just having launched Disney Plus, not being able to roll out any of their new content because (laughs) coronavirus (laughs) hit. And, you know, whatever you want to make of Hulu. Uh, (laughs) So I think I would have still expected Netflix to be on top. I just don't think I would have expected them to be on top by this much. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. I w- I think I was more bullish. Is that the term? I don't know. I don't do the stock market. Bullish more, is good. Bearish yes. is bad. I think I was a little bit more bullish than you on Netflix. And but I I definitely I didn't expect I th- we've almost seen them like grow. Uh, or we talked about that like two episodes ago, like this year they've they've grown. And I, I kind of I don't know that I expected that. I think I expected the, to remain on top, but to be sort of hurt a little bit. Um, but it seems like so far they haven't really suffered at all. Yeah, we were laughing at that that report that they posted that was like our number one uh, competitors are sleep, right. YouTube and Fortnite. And we we're yes. like, OK, buddy, but I guess they're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that thinking has largely played out uh, exactly like they said it would. Yeah, I think you're right that it's it's too early to tell on HBO Max. Um, I think Disney Plus has gone about how uh we expected like they they are growing they you noted that they haven't released a much new content but they have over 54 million subscribers now so they're like very quickly uh coming at the heels of um some of the others and it feels like hulu and amazon prime have just kind of like stayed in this very uh flat point of stasis they have not gone down nor up they've just kind of held position yeah i think the i think the other thing to note is just that i I think that there was a time like a year ago when we thought that like there was going to be a clear hierarchy of these that would that would emerge and be like only one or two can survive yeah um and that just has not been true it seems like everybody there's plenty of room for everybody um even with an impending recession, it seems like people are still going to pay for entertainment because like, what else are they going to do when you're staying <laughs> stuck at home? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that that's my biggest takeaway. It's yeah. just that yeah. that that kind of um, there can only be one Highlander attitude is just not going to be true. So how do you feel as like a user? Uh, like how many of these services are you using? Do you feel like I feel a little bit like I'm drowning in content? Like now I have too many platforms. Um, like I currently have Netflix, HBO Max, Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime Video, Hulu and Hulu and Peacock. I don't have the only one I don't have currently is Disney Plus of those big ones. And it's just yeah. like I, like there's shows on each of those platforms that I want to watch and I can't possibly watch all of them. It just feels like chaos a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you cover more movies and I'm I'm more of like purely TV. So I am I am used to this chaos. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the Bane line is like you adopted the chaos. I I was, was born in it. Right. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm constantly overwhelmed by too many shows to watch. Um, and that hasn't really changed. The one difference is that uh, the coronavirus slowing production has actually allowed me to like get caught up on some of the deeper cuts in these libraries. Yeah. Um, which which we'll talk about, I think, when we get to the, the queue later in the episode. But um, yeah, I think that there is too much. I I usually find myself flipping mostly just between Netflix and Hulu um, and then some HBO Max sprinkled in. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I, that, maybe that's just because that's where the shows that I'm watching live. Right. As opposed to right. um, just the user experience. Uh, I think that especially for people like you and me who are just like trying to churn through as much content as possible, pretty much. It's more it's much more about the library than the experience. So, right. you know, I'm watching Scrubs again and I'm watching these other shows that are on Hulu. So I just flip on Hulu and I, I watch them there. It doesn't have anything to do with Hulu being um, like a much better uh, product necessarily yeah. Yeah. beyond that library. Yeah. I, I think I, I think that's a good observation. I, my, my feeling generally is that like I'm willing to sort of tolerate this chaos because this is part of my 
work and what I do. I think for the average, I think for the average user, there's going to be sort of this like uh, law of diminishing returns or like point where it's like I if I already have four or five streaming services, like there's just no way I'm going to add another one because I already feel like I'm drowning in content. Maybe that's not the case, but I think it'll be interesting to see what that what figuring out kind of what that limit is, like how many of these will people tolerate? Yeah. And I think that I think that when a new one comes out, it's going to be more than just like, oh, you have to see this one show. It's yeah. going to have to be like, I don't think any I don't think you're going to get people to get HBO Max just by being like, oh, did you see Watchmen? You have to get HBO HBO Max to get it. Um, right. Although that's beyond the paywall now, which is something we'll get into. But uh, <laughs> the, in general, I think it's going to have to be like they have this, this, this and this. And that's yeah. what's going to get enough people to come as opposed to. Um, and then then they will stay because of that user interface, as opposed to just saying that there's there's this one show that everybody's watching. I'm not sure that we're going to get that m- as much anymore. Or um, if we do, that'll be the privilege of a very few platforms like maybe netflix will get to do that or disney plus but like right with like a tiger king or or something like that or mandalorian but peacock is not going to be pulling a bunch of users because they have a 30 rock reunion (laughs) i don't think even though there's no yeah (laughs) yeah i mean they'll they'll get my money but (laughs) they won't because i also get it for free through comcast Um, so looking kind of briefly towards the future, there's not a whole lot to say. I don't want to just speculate endlessly, but I think eventually, like now that we've kind of been in this for a year, I think looking at it, like we're eventually going to see some casualties. I, I feel like like Apple, Apple TV plus already feels like it's suffering a little bit. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. Um, but I as think good it, as the servant was. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's some good shows on there, which I'll, I'll talk about. I've been watching another Apple TV plus show, um, but it's just it's just a matter. I think those casualties it's going to be long slow deaths i think um except for things like quibi that kind of flash and burn these big platforms these are big companies that are like invested and they're not just gonna pop in and pop out you know like this is a big part of their businesses at this point so right and i think that a lot of them are seeing this as a adapt or survive situation right this isn't like i don't think that they're seeing this as like a fun little romp into streaming they're like (laughs) streaming is the only way for us to survive yeah yeah. and if this doesn't work we're gonna have to like sell the company yeah (laughs) so i don't think that i don't think that they're going to just give up easily they're they're either which, which is exactly what you're saying yeah they either need it to survive or like apple or amazon it's such a it's a part of such a big company that it's like apple could just not make any money on apple tv plus and if they want to they can just keep making tv shows like that's their like right you don't need that technically so it's just a matter of like do, do they care or and the same thing goes for amazon it's just kind of a feature of like a much larger um ecosystem so they can just sustain it even if it doesn't make financial sense um right for a long time I thought, yeah i thought one thing that we could do uh right now that would be kind of fun is to uh rank rank the uh our our uh streaming services here that we have out and and kind of put them in in an order and not necessarily how much we think that they're succeeding or going to win the streaming wars but per- just in personally. terms of our personal preference yeah. yeah um and and i'm curious to see how much they they differ um i actually put cool. mine into like tiers um 
because there, some of them I thought were like kind of interchangeable um, and just to try and like yeah. show some distance between them. I don't know how you want to do this. Do you want to start at the bottom? Do you want to start at the top? Uh, Let's start at the bottom. F tier. Okay. Or however you have, how do you yeah. have it labeled? So I have three tiers Um, in my and I didn't rank Peacock because I, I haven't sampled okay. their free content yet yeah. because uh, like I said, I hate free content. So uh, <laughs> my bottom tier is the, is Apple TV Plus and Amazon Prime. Um, not because I don't like the stuff that they have on there. Um, I actually use my my dad's Amazon Prime account, and apparently he has CBS All Access plug-in for that, too. So that's, like, great, I guess. But um, I don't really use it for anything unless what I'm trying to watch isn't on another uh, service. Yeah. And Apple TV Plus, I don't think I've really returned to since uh, since you got me into the servant. So that would be my 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 bottom tier. Yeah, I would probably my bottom tier would probably be Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus, uh, just because I think literally the only Disney Plus thing I've watched is The Mandalorian. And yeah, I don't even have Disney Plus anymore. So, yeah, so that that makes total sense. Although um, I'm going to have to get it again so I can watch the Hamilton movie, which comes out uh, very soon. So, yes, true. And I think I think I have a little I have I have uh, Disney Plus in the next in the next tier by itself. And I think that part of that is just faith in that brand and the right. stuff that they are going to make. They've announced a lot of interesting projects. Yeah. Um, I'm not like a big Marvel head, but, you know, I will probably check out their Marvel TV shows, um, at least to see what what the what the fuss is uh, in a way that I won't for uh, these other networks. Yeah. And I could definitely see that service going up a tier for me or like having a lot of potential in the future. Um, it just hasn't been that yet. So. Plus, they have all the Pixar movies. They do have all the Pixar movies. Yeah. But, you know, um, HBO Max has Studio Ghibli. So and that's why HBO Max is up a tier. <laughs> uh, otherwise known as uh, Pixar for hipsters. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so what do you have above Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus? Above in that, in that Disney next group? Plus. How, well, how many groups are is there? Bottom, middle and top? That's what I did. Yeah. OK. Uh, so yeah. in the middle tier, I would put uh, Amazon Prime Video. And I guess I, I feel like I haven't really used Peacock enough to evaluate. It would maybe be in the bottom tier, but it's free. So I feel like that kind of puts it as a mid-tier thing because I've watched stuff on it and literally I paid nothing for it. So um, Amazon Prime Video, I would put in the middle because I've actually, I it's kind of in the process of shifting because I used to watch a lot of old HBO stuff on Amazon Prime. Like they had The Sopranos mm, yeah. and uh, The Wire and stuff on there and I could watch that without actually having to pay for HBO. And they have a couple of originals that I've enjoyed in the past, but um, I haven't been watching much on there recently so i'd say it's pretty solid mid-tier and their their interface frustrates me and i feel like it's hard to find stuff to watch on uh amazon prime Con the yeah I, I feel like they have a giant library and i don't really know what's in it yeah um probably in, in kind of that way you're talking about twice a month at least i like open up the amazon prime video app and i'm like oh let me see if there's something to watch on here and then i just end up switching over to something else so because yeah, i don't find anything yeah. um my hottest take is probably that i would put hulu in the mid tier just because i uh i don't have any problems with hulu i like their interface but for whatever reason i don't know if it's the type of content that's on there but i just end up using it a lot less than uh sure some of the others so hulu's a sure. mid tier for me so so we've all we've decided so for me the bottom tier is at apple tv plus and amazon prime for you it's apple tv plus and Disney 
Disney Plus. Um, middle tier, I have Disney Plus, and you have Amazon Prime and Hulu. Yeah. Um, and maybe Peacock. Uh, yeah. And then that that leaves a pretty obvious first tier of both of us have Netflix, I'm assuming, and HBO Max. Yeah. And I also have Hulu up there. Um, I'm a big FX fan. And they have all the FX stuff there, which was so hard to find before. So that's a that's a big plus for yeah. me. That that definitely that definitely is big for Hulu. Every literally everything I've watched on Hulu this year is FX stuff. So yeah, um, the FX app used to be so bad. Yeah, uh, and now it is, and now it's all been rolled into into Hulu. Hulu's got a couple good original like comedies, like Rami and uh, Shrill and some and we we both love the great which is yeah. um, which is yeah. on hulu uh they also have uh, a weirdly large like anime library if that's uh, yes. something that you're into yeah <laughs> uh but i i understand that that's probably not our crowd um anyways <laughs> there, there's there's there's, some, there's you know dozens out there there's got to be someone yeah. dozens there's um, dozens of us <laughs> there i will say their film selection this year has actually been uh, pretty good as far as like grabbing other films. Um, I've watched quite a few films on there. They managed to get Parasite and uh, That's right, Parasite. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like some of these independent uh, foreign films that usually would end up on Netflix or something have ended up on Hulu. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, good for them for getting good selection. It's the only movies. place you can watch Atlanta. Um, yes. Which great show. Uh, yeah. There's just a I just am a big fan of a lot of the, like I said, the FX stuff. Yeah. And I think that they just if you're into, you know, obviously I'm a little more, uh, I don't know, I, I watch a lot of like older TV shows to try and get a sense of like the genre at large. And for a backlog of historically important TV shows, there's no better place than yeah, Hulu. Absolutely. It's like, it's like the only place you're going to find like Buffy um, and Hill Street Blues and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, so maybe that that bumps it up in my my book just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah cool um before we go to our our topic of the day uh do you want we were we wanted to talk about um how platforms have been kind of responding to uh the the, the growing black lives matter campaign um nationwide and uh mostly that's been by promoting shows about black people and from black voices yeah um, either either in their own little bar or bringing them from behind the paywall yeah uh several services i don't i, I don't want to list all of them because i haven't researched exactly which ones didn't didn't i know but i know netflix and amazon at least had like banners and sort of a special selection of um, hulu as well has a just a black stories yeah banner yeah uh and i think that's really cool to see um and also one of the other cool things was like you mentioned just moving some of the stuff outside of the paywall netflix put its 13th uh documentary and ava duvernay's when they see us which is a really solid uh mini series she directed um, both of those yes she directed both of those and watchmen hbo moved outside the paywall some of these are limited so apologies if you can't watch them anymore without paying by the time right. you hear this but uh all of those things are worth paying for too so if you can't get to it anymore um they're worth going and checking out and if you're listening to this you're you have netflix already what are we you know who are we kidding <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah and uh i mean we could go down the the, the like lists of all the things that they have put in those banners but um you, you should just check them out uh yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be better than us just reading a bunch of titles and um if you've been listening to the show you know that i'm a big fan of watchmen um 
And I think that a lot of my friends have been watching it for the first time. And I feel like they're all like, wow, this is very appropriate for today's climate. And I'm like, I know that's what I was saying before. But um, yeah, I think a lot of these a lot of these are very are very good things to watch at the moment to try and put uh, what's going on in context. Yeah. And I think a lot of times looking at some of the stuff that's going on, something like a TV show or a movie can feel like a very sort of, uh, you know, recommending people watch a TV show or a movie can feel like a very weak sort of response. But I think these platforms and these stories and the role these platforms can play in elevating these stories and putting them in front of people can be a really impactful thing in terms of how it shifts people's views. And yeah, just I've seen I've seen personally in the in my own life and in the lives of people around me, how movies and TV shows can can change how people think about things. Um, So I think it's good and I I love to see it. And I recommend in addition to everything else you should be doing, uh, (laughs) watching and consuming more content uh, from Black Voices. Yeah. uh, Just to piggyback off of that, I think I think that we both very much believe in in visual media, film, TV as like more than just like pretty pictures. Yeah. I think we both view them as powerful storytelling devices. And uh, in a lot of ways, these are like empathy building devices. Yes. Yeah. So I know that you and I have talked offline, but we've both felt like the, the wire opened our eyes to a lot of systemic problems that we couldn't, that we weren't really aware of because of our upbringing or our privilege. And um, I, I think that that changed my worldview a bit. And you know, Watchmen is the first media to ever show the Tulsa race massacre on on screen. And these are important things that I think can change people's minds and not even change people's minds, but widen their perspective Yeah, uh, beyond just the voices that we usually hear in our own lives. So that's probably a great segue to our. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to our trending now segment. Yeah. So our trending now segment every month, we will take one thing on one of these streaming services and uh, talk about it. So this month, we both checked out The Five Bloods, Spike Lee's new film on Netflix. Um, it is about some uh, black Vietnam vets who are returning to Vietnam in order to... I, I'm not really sure how much to like give away here, but um, they're returning there. And yes. uh, they are back in Vietnam, and uh, it's it's like 52 years later, I think. Is, yeah. I did the math. Um, so they all have to be in their 70s, I think. Yeah, it's a bunch of older gentlemen kind of like reliving going back over some of their past in Vietnam through the lens of like modern Vietnam, which I think is kind of an interesting and cool perspective. I I, like I realized watching this and that's one of the interesting things about this film and some some things I saw other uh, critics talking about was um, like a lot of my image of Vietnam, unfortunately, very tragically, has been shaped by like movies about the Vietnam War. Um, Yes. And this is still yet another movie about the Vietnam War, but it actually represents um, current Vietnam in a way that's a little bit more comprehensive than maybe some other films have in the past. So I think I think that's an interesting um, facet of this film for sure. I I really really loved just the premise of the of the storytelling device just the just the idea of this movie i thought was really great you know the vietnam war happened at the same time as the civil rights movement and it very much frames these 
um, these black soldiers fighting a war that they don't really necessarily believe in for a white country that has oppressed them. And also the the images of colonialism are all over the place, especially on the Vietnam side as well. And it's just a lot of like getting caught in the middle kind of stuff. Um, and I, and the show, the, sorry, the movie jumps back and forth in time between their actual time on the ground in a firefight and their, uh, you know, their journey through the, through the jungle, their, uh, nowadays, which I thought was was really powerful too. Yeah, and the the it's very fun. The uh, like flashbacks to the past are modeled after these sort of old Rambo style Vietnam you know war films. Uh, so like the aspect ratio changes, and Spike Lee just kind of mimics a lot of these like tropes. The guns have like unlimited ammo and all these crazy things. So and 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 when they go back in time. Uh, even though it's you know years in the past, the the same actors who are playing the older characters are playing the younger characters. So there's this weird juxtaposition where they're like these really old guys in Vietnam fighting, which I think was an interesting creative choice. And I like I like the fact that he did that. It makes it feel more like a memory, like they are reliving this memory yes. rather than we're just seeing what happened in the past. And and the and it also makes total sense for the story because the story is so much about this trauma that you can't overcome. Yeah. Um, whether that is the trauma of of the war itself or just of you know being born black in America. Yeah. And and that kind of racism that you have to deal with. Um, I wanted to ask you a question because I don't know the answer, but I think you might. Um, I, it felt to me I have not seen Apocalypse Now, um, which is I know like a crime, but uh, <laughs> for like a. F- a film video essay person but uh it felt like this was in conversation with a lot of apocalypse now um whether they were playing uh flight of the valkyries uh which i know is is a thing from apocalypse now and i think there is a scene where literally the banner of apocalypse now is is in the in the shot and i was wondering um if you could speak more to those kinds of connections so um i, I can't go too crazy into detail but you you're you're right there in that like i think i think one of the one thing i should point out is i think in it's a little bit beyond my knowledge but from things that i've read and seen i think this film is is really in conversation with like not just the subject matter but most of the past media about the vietnam war not just apocalypse now um apocalypse now is kind of the obvious big one and so it really stands sure. out so um, that's probably the one that i picked up on yeah um but it's it he, spike lee is kind of grappling with or dealing with and in conversation with a lot of the media that's already been in the past and there's some there's some critics out there who have who have talked about some of that stuff. Um, one of the things, yeah, one of the things I'll mention, uh, something that's really cool is Nef. I think it's the Netflix film Twitter account. Um, I can link to it. They had a thread from a Vietnamese critic um, who went through and kind of broke down and talked about some of the uh, ways Vietnam is portrayed and just from the perspective of someone from Vietnam, how the film deals with the location and the subject matter and Mm. stuff like that. And that was really insightful. One of the things I learned from that uh, that's actually really interesting is that Apocalypse Now banner that you're talking about, um, that's from an actual bar in Saigon that's called Apocalypse Now. 
Um, oh, so in a weird way, some of the references <laughs> to the movie are there because the movie has been, you know, kind of has seeped into Vietnamese culture in certain ways. Um, it might be like the most profitable movie shot in Vietnam. Right? <laughs> I well, uh, I don't know. I don't know but... if I'm I don't think it was shot in Vietnam, technically. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. Well, that was shows you what i know uh, apocalypse now <laughs> the spike lee movie uh spike lee movie. that certainly seemed very right very is it in there was shot in um so it's interesting and and uh this is getting maybe a little bit into spoilery territory but i think one of the to anyone who's looking at watching this like it's a very difficult film to watch spike lee deals very like graphically and directly with a lot of like the atrocity that happened during the Vietnam War, sort of the victimization of the Vietnamese people. Um, and he deals with... Yeah, he doesn't shy away from that at all. Yeah, and he deals with kind of the complicated nature of, like, the the black men being used as a tool of oppression while simultaneously being oppressed, which is this very, like, complicated issue. Um, and so it's interesting to see a film uh, deal with that and um, kind of grapple with with the complexity of that uh, issue in the film. I don't know. I think I was just going to say, <laughs> I think I was just going to say that, that like he, he very, um, he deals with how complicated that scenario is and how difficult it is. It's not one that can sort of simply be, you know, summed up or it's a very difficult, complicated, traumatic experience. Um, and at some times, you know, it the movie is difficult because of that. But uh, I think that's part of his attempt to express, uh, you know, the reality of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, he's definitely trying to draw a lot of parallels to the same kind of um, idea of people being oppressed and still being used as a tool of oppression towards others. Uh, one of the big symbols of the entire movie is one of the characters wearing a uh, Make America Great Again hat. And uh, that definitely is, I think, all over the place and is is very purposeful um i don't know how much we want to talk about the like reviewing the actual movie and getting into spoilers and stuff what do you think um i mean we can we can get into that that if we want to i don't know if, i don't know how much you have to say i think in i'll say this and we can cut it out if we don't want to talk about it but sure you know i think in a lot of ways it's it's been getting good reviews and people have been talking about it in a lot of ways it's a very relevant movie um, and the way it deals with issues is very um, powerful and it's talking about a lot of very important, interesting things. And some of the, the ways it's dealing with like past representation representations of Vietnam or the way our media has talked about the Vietnam Vietnam War um, has is is important and interesting. It's not a perfect movie and it's maybe too long in yeah. places. It has some pacing issues and there's times where i think he almost complicates his message unnecessarily by you know trying to um contemporize it in certain ways like um you know like in that hat example right or... right um there's well that and that gets even more explicit at the end where you have like this like french yeah. trump kind of character um and it's there's nothing explicitly wrong with that spike lee's always been a very explicitly political director um but he's he's gotten this kind of criticism in the before for like in, he did similar stuff in Black Klansman where it's like I think he he'll make a very powerful film but then he'll do things that are almost so on the nose that it, it's 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 yeah. fine now but it'll undercut I think the timelessness of the message um, in a way that's that's probably a little bit unfortunate 
Yeah, but part of that is I, I, I did kind of want to talk about this so that I'm glad that that's that this is where we were going, because I feel similarly, which is why I started with my when we were talking about it by saying that it's a very I love the idea for this movie. Right. Yes. Um, and not saying that I love necessarily this movie itself um i think that everything that he's grappling with is like super interesting and i think that i am going to be thinking about it for a really long time yeah i think that part of the timelessness of it is an interesting point because some of that is not some of that's dependent on culture not on like how much the world moves past it right you know right as opposed to how much he is making something that's timeless like i think about um hit probably his most famous movie do the right thing which is timeless but also so much of a piece of that like early 90s late 80s culture yeah like yeah. if it feels very much like that but also because we haven't really addressed any of the issues that were in there yeah it has felt it has become like very timeless and it almost feels like it could have been written yesterday yeah yeah this was a film i i, I was trying to read a lot of perspectives especially from black critics because i wanted to understand you know the aspects of it that i disliked um you know i kind of wanted to make sure that there weren't parts of the film i was missing just because i don't understand the experience or you know what it's trying to express and right yeah. there's there's you know um there were people that i were seeing who were, were rating the film fairly highly four or five stars but then still talking about how you know spike lee is kind of abrasive in areas um with sort of how he's presenting things um, and I think, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but like the way he's using images, like real life images, um, almost for shock impact in some places, like I, yeah, those cutaways to the, the like Polaroids and stuff right of like actual dead Vietnamese people. Um, I understand sort of why he's trying to, or what he's doing with that. Um, but it didn't necessarily always feel completely like justified with to me, even understanding the sort of context and the complicatedness of, you know, what he's addressing. So it's it's not um, it's certainly it's certainly not a bad film. And he's certainly I would say, yeah, it's definitely a good film. Spike um, Lee is is a talented director and you can see his hands in how he's shaping this and what he's what he's expressing here. But there's it's. It's not necessarily there's places where I think that made it, um, like I said, I think difficult to watch is just the the way I would describe it. And sometimes that's in service of what the movie is like, the content and what it's trying to talk about and discuss. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes I think that difficulty gets in the way of um, what it's yeah. trying to express. I think that's a. I think that's a good place to leave it. The only thing I will add is that um, we do get just a, a really, I think that you and I both enjoyed this part of the movie a lot um, because it, it features a character from the wire saying his, uh, <laughs> his iconic catchphrase. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and uh, I'll just leave it at that, I yeah. guess. <laughs> as soon as he came on screen, my wife and I like looked at each other and then like when he said it, we were like, Yes, that was it. And it's like a really long one. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like he really sells it. So I think uh, uh, a lot of people, I, I don't know, a lot of people don't know that that's not a wire specific thing. Like that's just his thing. Oh, that's just him. And he's done it in like a, a several different shows or films, which is great. I, I, I kind of love that. Well, now I know that, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, um, let's move on to our final segment, uh, the queue. Every month we 
recommend something that's been in our queue, something that we are watching or, you know, maybe even just looking forward to watching. Thomas, I think you went first last time. Yeah, go ahead. So I, I will go first this time. I have been um, I will add my voice to the list of voices uh, recommending. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Ava DuVernay's film 13th which is a Netflix documentary about the, I don't really know how to say it, uh, the systemic mass incarceration of um, African-Americans and, and black people. Um, and it's just a very, very like succinct, powerful argument. Um, I think it, it really, there's like a lot of information out there with a lot, there's like a lot of stats. If you're on social media, I'm sure you're seeing like a lot of, um, you know, numbers and maybe like conflicting figures. I don't know, but, this is just a very cohesive, singular argument um, that lays out the, the the timeline of uh, you know mass incarceration in the United States and um, how it how it is targeted black people. And I think that that is it's it's a great it's like a great film, and it is also couldn't be more relevant at the moment. Um, and the other thing I want to suggest is that I have been watching the old FX series, um, The Shield, which is on Hulu, um, came out in like 2002, same year as The Wire, which is an interesting uh, comparison because it is very much more an antihero show. Um, and it is very much not painting the police in a positive light. <laughs> um and very much about uh it's like an anti-hero cop show um and it very much makes you grapple with the amount of power and abuse that uh that power can breed in the police in america interesting uh yeah i uh will kind of recommend two things uh i the besides just saying a second the 13th uh Definitely. I th it's kind of required viewing <laughs> right now, I think, if you want to yeah. understand uh, some of just what the situation is. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll recommend two things. Uh, one of my favorite directors is Derek C. in France, who directed the film The Place Beyond the Pines and uh, Blue Valentine. He is doing an H or he it's just it's finished now. I haven't finished it yet, but the HBO miniseries This Much I Know is True, um, which is based on... Does it also star Ryan Gosling? It does not star, star Ryan Gosling, but it stars Mark Ruffalo um, acting his ass off as a pair of twins. Um, oh, I have seen promos for this. Yes. Okay. Uh, and it's based on a novel by the same name. Um, and it's about, uh, some older twin brothers, one of whom is a paranoid schizophrenic and how they kind of, how their relationship is developing and changing after some events. And it's one of those things where like the story is good. It's interesting. It's compelling. But one of the things I love about Derek C in France and the way he directs most of the time is he has this uncanny ability to just pull these like insane, raw, just incredible performances out of people. And that's definitely the case here. There's the thing that really carries this show is that there's just these scenes where you're like, yeah, it's just incredibly real and Everyone who's acting in it is just completely on point and it's great. Worth Acting showcase. Out. Yes. Uh, but I've only seen two episodes, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, but they were great but episodes. Those were great. Uh, the other thing I've been watching is actually something on Apple TV Plus, uh, which is a documentary show 
called Home. And it's this is I'm recommending it here because this is not the kind of show I would probably talk about anywhere else. But it's it's just a, each episode focuses on a person who looks at the concept of a house in a very uh, different way. Um, but it's more than just like a house documentary show. It's also a chance to kind of showcase very interesting people. Um, one of the episodes is about the artist Theaster Gates, who lives in Chicago and he's, you know, he has these huge art displays. He's a very wealthy guy, but he chooses to live um, in the south side of Chicago and kind of develop these buildings and houses in Chicago that are like these incredible centers for art and culture. Um, and he's just like a fascinating guy that I didn't know about. But this documentary episode kind of like sums up some of what he's doing. Another one was about this lady who lives in Bali and she builds these like insane structures out of bamboo, just these like resorts, like entire huge homes out of just bamboo um so it's it's pretty cool if you're at all interested in like design or just like how design can be used to make the world a better place all right um anything you want to anything you want to plug before we we head out today uh i just uploaded right before we hit record on this a brand spanking new video about parasite of all things never haven't really what haven't really touched on that <laughs> in a video before <laughs> um so, yeah i mean it's you're really you're really covering all your bases here you're talking about the uh, architecture and yeah. you're talking about parasite this is a. Uh, um, this is your corner, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. So this video focuses on the storyboards and uh, what we can learn from Bong Joon-ho's storyboards of Parasite. So it was a lot of fun to make. And uh, I feel like this movie, I I now this is the fourth video I've made about it. I've probably studied Parasite more than any other film at this point. I feel like I know it. It's worth studying forward and backward. Say. And I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, it's it's uh, I keep finding new things about it, even as I I've uh, I've edited a video. I've, I've seen it more than once. And then I edited a video for Wisecrack about it or maybe like two about it. And every time that I'm like watching any clip of it, I'm always like, there's just this is such like a dense, like rich text yeah um that never feels like that I, there's not enough i think it's like as close to like a perfect movie as i've seen uh and, but yeah and the, <laughs> the storyboards really kind of reveal how that's the case because it's like every inch of that thing he just like planned out immaculately like there's nothing happen i don't know how you do that nothing happens in that movie that was an accident when i when i do like when I look at stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, I'm never, never going to be able yeah, to do how this. Does his brain, how does he visualize in his brain? Like, yeah, it's I just don't think this way. Yeah. Like, I just I can like decode it, but <laughs> I I can't put it in there, yeah, man. I don't yeah. know how you come up with that. Um, I am working on a I just had a video come out on the ringer a couple weeks ago about the wire and uh, the Sopranos and about how they have kind of there's these two tent poles of TV and how they use uh, time really differently, um, which is, you know, the big thing that TV has is that it's on forever. Uh, and I have a video on my channel about the Hulu show Normal People. Um, and then I'm working on a pretty big project um, that I, I don't know when it's going to be done, though, so I, I can't. Uh, can't really plug it yet but if you're interested in a very vague promise uh you know keep your eye keep your ears open keep your eyes peeled the yeah the sopranos slash wire video is very good so i recommend people check that out it fits in nicely with a lot of the conversations we've had here about those shows so yes yes uh 
the, the I will say that the uh, I, I guess I can tease it more, but um, is a project on uh, propaganda and uh, police representation on TV and how that it has uh, informed our our view views of the police's role in society. Nice, nice. Um, so that's a a nice light topic um, that will be very easy to discuss. Uh, <laughs> How much cost are you having to watch for this video? Okay, so I've I've decided early on that I was going to stick just to scripted fiction. Okay, and yes, although there yes. is an argument that cops is scripted, <laughs> um, I decided not to not to do cops at yeah. all. Um, I have watched an ungodly amount of Blue Bloods. Um, uh, yes which is uh just the uh which is not a good television well, show um you, but but it is the seventh most watched show of the year better so, you than the rest uh, of us yeah i'm 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 shit eating for all of us i guess is the <laughs> is the is the premise here Fantastic. um uh where can they find you thomas hit me up on twitter or on youtube i'm thomas flight pretty much everywhere or tiktok or tiktok yes i am on tiktok these days thomas.flight he's the tiktok video essayer yep best video essayist <laughs> uh you can find me on youtube at skip intro or on twitter at jack apn2 and if you have any feedback or anything uh questions uh if you have any feedback or questions you can hit us up stream theory pod at gmail.com <laughs> all right uh no, we'll talk to you guys later. See ya.